Hello and welcome to Let's Get After It. I'm here with the Dean of the Libraries, Ken Berhana. Hello. How are you today? I'm doing well, Sydney. It's a little <laughs> snowy out today, but oh, yeah. uh, I'm glad we all made it here safely. Oh, yeah. Um, okay, so can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, as you said, uh, Ken Berhana, Dean of Libraries. Um, the libraries actually are bigger than libraries, so also part of the library family is the Kent State University Press which we're very proud of, the award-winning press. Um, uh, the May 4 Visitor Center is also part of the library, and uh, Kent State LaunchNet is also mm -hmm. uh, part of the library. Okay, so tell us about your role here at Kent State and what else you do here. So I'm um, basically the, the uh, I direct all the operations of those libraries and other entities, I call them library-adjacent um, uh, operations. And uh, so I lead on strategic planning. I lead on personnel. I manage the budget. And I represent the libraries publicly, both at the university in Ohio. And we're a member of the Association of Research Libraries, which is the uh, mm -hmm. represents the 114 or so largest research libraries in North America. And so I play a role there, too. As okay, well. yeah. So how did you get to this point as dean of the libraries? Well, that's a long story. Uh, <laughs> we can get into components of it. I'll just tell you my Kent State story. Yeah. Um, I began here actually in 2004 as the first year experience librarian. And it's okay. a little unique for uh, someone to move their way up at a university and become the dean. A lot of times you'll see deans coming from outside and they've had mm -hmm. worked at other institutions. But I was first year experience librarian. At that point, there were only two of them in the country, so I was the second one uh, okay. that was that was cool. actually in the world or in the <laughs> United States, um, focused on really helping our first-year students succeed, right? Mm -hmm. um, I transitioned to there to being uh, the head of our instructional services, and we have a, a mission to help students practice and become proficient in what we call information literacy skills. So mm -hmm. this is really... Uh, the, I call it the art and science of, mm -hmm. of evaluating and finding and using information effectively and ethically. Uh, I became an assistant dean after that, basically in charge of all the front-facing resources and services of the library. Mm -hmm. um, I took a break from that and became, uh, I served as provost fellow for a okay. semester under Provost Todd Diacon, who is now our president. Mm -hmm. After that, I additionally took on the role of interim director of our university press. Okay. Uh, then I became interim dean for a couple <laughs> of years, and then eventually we ran a search, and uh, I competed for the position and was fortunate enough to be appointed the dean of libraries in 2019. Oh, okay, cool. So it's not like super new, but it's a little new, 2019. Um, right. So what does a day in life look like for you? Well, uh, it's interesting because every day is different. There's yeah. really uh, not a normal day, but uh, it's a lot of meetings. Mm -hmm. um, it's also where problems come to be solved. Yeah. So uh, uh, different things pop up different weeks. Mm -hmm. um, a big focus of my work more recently has been on fundraising and, and stewardship of the donations that the library or parts uh, parts of my portfolio receive. Um, 
May 4 has become a big part of that. Mm -hmm. um, May 4 is over 50 years ago, and there's a, a lot of people at that point in their life where they're looking back and thinking about what is their legacy like in, mm -hmm. in, in, in relation to May 4. Um, so it's it's a lot of, you know, interactions with other leaders, with external donors, and but there's management pieces too. Yeah. We have faculty in the library, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, so we have several different types of employee faculty, two types of faculty, and uh, unclassified and classified staff. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I work closely to make sure um, – all those actions, personnel actions, faculty actions, are governed correctly. Yeah. And 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 uh, we have deep faculty governance at Kent State, so all those individuals are collaborating with me and giving input to the decisions the library makes. Mm -hmm. So with the May Fourth uh, Memorial, like what else entails with that? Like what do you do? Like and manage within that? Well, the May Fourth Visitor Center, mm -hmm. uh, I directly oversee. Mm -hmm. um, and we're running a search for a new director right now. Okay. Uh, addition to that, um, there's, for example, a Jerry Lewis, Jerry M. Lewis May 4 lecture series that was just endowed last year. Mm -hmm. And in, the, in that endowment, it points to the dean of libraries to oversee it. So right now we're actively screening scholars to give the next Jerry Lewis lecture. I also play a role. I sit on the president's advisory board related to May 4, and mm -hmm. I'm involved in the planning. I'm involved in the oversight of the uh, historical landmark site, yeah. which is uh, bigger than just Taylor Hall. It surrounds mm -hmm. that whole area. Uh, and then we have, uh, we just completed last year a revisioning of the May 4 Visitor Center, okay. which really points to uh, the educational mission around May 4 and helping to use May 4 as a lens by which we consider and examine our current world mm -hmm. in order to design a better future. Okay. Um, so can you get in more about the Kent State University Press that you deal with? <laughs> sure. Um, Kent State University Press is, uh, you know, university presses exist largely to provide access to scholarly works mm -hmm. that aren't normally commercialized. Although we sell these books, right? So we're, mm -hmm. we're, we're in the business of selling the books, but we're giving – opportunity to scholarly works that may not otherwise had an opportunity to be shared with the world. Mm -hmm. At the same time, uh, part of our mission is to uh, do some regional publishing. So we publish some local histories, local uh, books that really allow Ohio and Northeast Ohio to shine. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we have a, a, a book that was actually uh, authored by one of the library employees, Jason Prufer, um, called Small Town Big Music, and the outsized influence of Kent on the history of rock and roll, which really chronicles all the, the major rock stars and pop music stars that, cool. that really began here in, yeah. in the Kent and Akron area, like Devo and Joe Walsh and the James Gang. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a number of them. <laughs> More recently, the Black Keys, actually. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard of them. Um, that's really cool, actually. I had no idea. Uh, so what is your favorite thing about working in higher ed? Well, um, it, it's quite simple. It's actually, um, I feel like I'm getting, I have a great job in which I learn every day. Yeah. So it's really learning new stuff every day, mm -hmm. um, which doesn't, um, sometimes that's, 
I say that in the wrong group, and it sounds like he just sits around and reads books. No, it's engaging with people, solving problems, working on new initiatives, and it's true. There's not a day that goes by where I don't learn something new, mm-hmm. and that's the business we're in anyways, yeah. right? Higher education is really about uh, fueling the production of knowledge and uh, training and educating students yeah. to go out and be great citizens and, and successful, have successful careers in our society. Yeah, I mean, I think that's great. It's not just like the students learning, but it's everyone here at the university learning right. as a whole. Right, it's a big learning community, really. You can look oh, at it that way. Yeah, yeah, I love that, especially at the library. I love it here. Yeah, um, great. Do you do you have a favorite floor of the library? <laughs> uh, well, that's the question I ask students usually. Where's your favorite spot in the library? And okay. they usually always do have a spot. Yeah. Um, uh, I guess... <laughs> Boy, I don't really have a favorite spot, but if you're going to really press me on it, I really like the Wick Poetry Corner. We've put a lot of okay. – we've collaborated with the Wick Poetry Center, and uh, it's really where we have our, all of our modern poetry, but we've we've really updated the whole area. It has, uh, it has new carpeting, new furniture. There's yeah. an awesome poetry wall there. There's some other interesting uh, pieces of art on the wall. And we yeah. have – there's some few – Things we'd still like to do, like put some awesome built-in win- window seats yeah. along the windows and things yeah. like that. So that's kind of a nice, cozy spot, mm-hmm. and, it, and it warms my heart every time I go by. It's just it's just jamming with students. So. Yeah, wait, is it is that on the what floor is that? It's on, on the second the floor. Second floor, yeah. I do like I do know. I so if you were, if it, you yeah. came up the escalators and mm-hmm. took your right, right and there. made your way to the elevators, mm-hmm. you'd pass it right there. Oh, yeah, I do really. Li- I really like looking at everything. I. Go to the third floor a lot. Love the third floor. <laughs> That's yeah. my favorite. And there's like a bunch of stuff there. And I always just like it. It's a very calm, peaceful place for me. <laughs> I like it. Um, okay. So what experience do you have with entrepreneurship? Well, yeah. I actually, uh, when I got my master's degree in library science, I didn't go off and work in a library. I started a company called Informed Patient Services. And we, okay. we uh, this is like... 94. This is really at the beginning of internet. Um, And there was a, uh, in the 90s, there was kind of a rise and fall, a dot-com bubble. So at the beginning of that, what we were doing was uh, serving, serving the general public, the consumer, by providing information about uh, conditions, diseases, challenges in their own healthcare to help them understand that. So we are really brokering information and creating customized information reports okay. to give to for, for consumers. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we were undercapitalized. We just knew enough to uh, go for it, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so interestingly, as that began, you know, we have to make money, right? So yeah. as that wasn't really funding, uh, providing enough funding, I began to spin out and do some other things. I became a business kind of writer consultant. Mm-hmm. So I did mass mailings for local companies. I wrote business plans. Um, I worked with an insurance agency, and I helped them write their business plan. And their plan was to niche market motorcycle insurance. Oh. And they became then uh, the largest motorcycle insurance agency in Ohio. Um, so interestingly enough, because I needed the work, <laughs> I ended up being an insurance agent for like <laughs> two and a half years, three okay. years. Okay, yeah. Um, 
I got licensed and everything. Okay. But from there, I uh, went and joined another firm called Hypertext Communications. I was uh, one of the like the third person they hired, and they were really um, installing what we called wide area networks, large networks for companies and things mm-hmm. like that. But we also did some customized software. And so I was kind of their lead sales and project manager. And that was in the late 90s. And they, uh, we we experienced some success, but also yeah. there were some challenges. And uh, I left there after a while. And I went through uh, a phase of uh, really, again, I was then in my early 30s going, what am I going to do with my life? I've tried all these things. <laughs> yeah. And then I went back to uh, librarianship. Actually, I applied for a job at Cleveland State, mm-hmm. which I didn't think I was qualified for, but the guy knew me and wanted to interview me, and uh, I had an all-day interview, and, and um, they called me two days later and say, you're not getting that job, but we created a job for you. Oh. So that's how I got back into higher cool. education. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I think a lot of uh, – when I reflect on those times, there's a lot of skills I learned Mm-hmm. That have that I take with me to this day, and that's why I believe it's really one of the connections I have with LaunchNet is yeah. that LaunchNet is really helping students develop those same skills. Yeah, and I'm speaking of like self-efficacy, right? Believing yourself and being empowered yeah. that you have to do this and figure it out. A lot of a lot of young people don't don't have a way to practice and learn that, and by pursuing entrepreneurial endeavors, you're going to be forced to yeah to get out there and do that. Learning that failure isn't failure is just part of the process. Yeah, um, that's an, that's another big one. And then um, the ability to, the ability to tell your own story—it's yeah. really important yeah. to be able to tell your own story. Mm-hmm. And as a uh, somebody with entrepreneurial aspirations, you constantly need to be telling the story of yeah. what you what you want to do. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, <laughs> in, in in large part, I really think it may sound corny that, that LaunchNet is about you know, helping people pursue the American dream. Yeah. It really is yeah. allowing uh, people from all backgrounds to pursue their uh, entrepreneurial business ideas. And even if, you know, and then you might fail. Yeah. But failing is just the beginning of the next thing you're going to do. It's just another stepping stone. Right. Yeah. Right. And then, and then whether you, uh, of course, we want to see outcomes where businesses get started, jobs get created, yeah. there's economic development, but also... Not everyone will do that, probably, but they will take these lessons into their lives and use them in whatever careers yeah. that they're in. Yeah. And you'll use them even in the management of your own family <laughs> and in the management of your own life. Mm-hmm. So I really think it's part of lifelong learning the skills of an entrepreneur. Yeah. That was really nicely put. I really like that one, especially the American dream. And I think that's like definitely what LaunchNet is trying to get at. Well, if you look at the clients of LaunchNet, yeah. They're diverse. Yeah. They're from all different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. It's 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 very impressive. And I think it's a it's an unspoken gem of this university. I think yeah. we're getting some more light shined on it. Yeah. But um and I don't and you know, I really feel like LaunchNet is doing this and it's kind of organic that it's happening. I mean, they their values and their approach mm-hmm. are attracting these students. Yeah. Um, I don't remember seeing a goal that we're going to support more and more diverse students. It's just a thing that is naturally happening. And we can try to turn the dial up on that if we want to. But it's just it's just, again, I'll use the phrase heartwarming to see Mm -hmm. because it's really 
that's, you know, I'll, I'll just circle back real quick. Why <laughs> I'm in higher education and not in the private sector is yeah. because uh, I am somebody who wants to be on a path with a heart. Yeah. And uh, when I go home after a bad day at Kent State, oh. I still know it's all worth it. Oh, yeah. I can say that in some earlier jobs I had that I wasn't so sure yeah. maybe at yeah. the end of the day. That's great. Yeah, I just like I love it at LaunchNet just because I like to see people just like get happy and like really thrive here and like see their businesses grow and see how it's like changed. Like I just was talking to Terrell the other day, one of our clients, and I was like, I saw like like your promotional ads like on like a tv and i was like that's so cool right. and i was like you it's like growing and i'm like people are talking about it more and it's just like great to see that like people are really doing great and like learning lessons and going far with their own businesses right yeah i mean um one of the programs i like to talk about is their black women bosses program yes which yeah. i've been to the last couple uh, culminating events mm -hmm. and it is so empowering uh these young women are starting companies, but I can tell they're also yeah. figuring out who they are, yeah. learning how to be successful in this world. So I think there's multiple outcomes and several mm -hmm. of them are actually out there doing the things they set out to do, starting yeah. companies. Mm -hmm. um, last one I was at, an alumni from a previous cohort came back and they're they're like iterating on other companies, but got a, but got a job, right? Yeah. So they're working and then side gigging and she was just saying that this was all made possible because of the experiences I had through this program. Yeah, And these students are, are coming from all over the university, too. Yeah. It's very it's diverse in background, diverse in interest and in major. Yeah. So, uh, Well, it's crazy because yeah. I tell people all the time, I'm like, you don't need to be an entrepreneur or major. I was like, you could just have an idea and you could just run with it. I was like, if you're determined to do it, you can do it. And I just don't think people understand right. that. Right. Um, that's completely true because mm -hmm. there's all types of disciplines yeah. can have uh, will have entrepreneurial outlets or opportunities. Mm -hmm. And then we all need to work together, right? Yeah. Um, that's another big thing, <laughs> yeah. I would say, and why I think LaunchNet sitting inside Design Innovation mm -hmm. Hub is a great place for them because yes. mm -hmm. it's where these disciplines are, are like intersecting and, and, yeah. and colliding in a way, yeah. in a positive way. Mm -hmm. And then you have to, you know, you might be an expert in your, say you're a fashion merchandising major and you have a business idea, you know your stuff, but you don't know how to do a business plan. Yeah. You might not know how to market yourself. Mm -hmm. That's that's awesome. So you end up learning also how to work as a team or yeah. be a team member. Yeah. And that's how the world's going to be Yeah. Going I forward. mean, like, if you have the resources, like, use them. And I tell, like, people, I'm like, there's so many resources. Just, like, look, look them up. I was like, Launchnet has so much to offer and people just – feel like just don't like think about it as often because it's in another way of talking about it as launch net you know the word net it is a network right yeah you're part of that sydney you're part of the yeah. launch net network right <laughs> i am and every new person who joins it expands that network mm -hmm. and and that's a network that i think over time can be called upon can be a resource can be yeah. used uh both to give back to yeah. uh launch net and kent state or to help yourself and the company that you're still aspiring to create. Yeah. So can you tell me, like, what was your first experience with LaunchNet that you had? And, like, how did you get involved with LaunchNet? So um, I was assistant dean, and LaunchNet, we began to collaborate on a number of things. So, for example, LaunchNet began doing their elevator pitches in the elevators in the university yeah. library. Mm -hmm. 
So we were making those connections. There was, um, I don't know if it's my first experience, but probably the most impactful early mm -hmm. experience was there was a Knight Foundation community challenge. So Knight Foundation uh, occasionally spins up these, these open challenges where they crowdsource ideas to solve problems and, and, and do things. Um, this one was related to libraries and the role of libraries uh, as a community hub. Mm -hmm. And LaunchNet and the libraries at that point collaborated to kind of have a university town hall. And we had like 70 people there. Mm -hmm. And out of that, there were over, uh, I think there were 16 applications from Kent State in this night news challenge. Mm -hmm. And one of them got funded as... Uh, they had one one stream was like proof of concept stream so that the, one of those got funded. It was one of my librarians. I was involved in five separate applications, and one of the applications that I was on made it to the round of the last 42 of 700 applications. Mm -hmm. um, we didn't get funded, but from that experience, um, the library and LaunchNet were really working to catalyze those types of efforts. Yeah, We really saw... Uh, a big connection between the libraries and LaunchNet. Mm -hmm. So at that point, to be clear, they didn't report to the libraries. That that was later when I became uh, the interim dean. Mm -hmm. um, we thought it made sense, so we proposed that to the then provost. Yeah. Um, to make that to make that change happen, because I think there's a lot of there's a lot of you know we're we're both. All those things I mentioned in the library portfolio, they're all common public goods. Yeah. So LaunchNet really fits into there as well. Yeah. So there's synergy there, right? Yeah. So do you feel like some sort of like connection because you do have like an entrepreneurial background like with LaunchNet? Oh, definitely. I mean, just the value proposition was not hard for me to understand at all. Yeah. It was just immediately I understood yeah. how, how important it can be. Um, and... Uh, if you ask people in the library, they might uh, I might make them uncomfortable sometimes because we do want to be the new library that is more um, going after things and doing things yeah. and being a little bit more entrepreneurial. Yeah. Um, uh, I would say it's no offense. I was one of them. How we were trained as librarians was kind of like, well, well I'm here. Let me know if I can help you. <laughs> well, we're we're trying to be more and more yeah. uh, proactive. Yeah. Getting, uh, getting in the flow of what we need to do at the university to succeed and helping, again, catalyze that success or help solve those problems. Yeah. So it's more than just a place for books. It's more than just a place where a librarian will help you look something up. Yeah. Um, we, have, we have stat consulting in the library. We have a data librarian. Mm -hmm. uh, we, have, uh, we have new services and offerings that are more than what you'd expect a library to do. Yeah. We're very much invested in supporting mm -hmm. the research e ecosystem yeah. at Kent State. Mm -hmm. So there's there's a lot of new things that we're, we're uh, trying to be that place that can support and initiate those things. Yeah. And then I think there's synergies with, with that, with what LaunchNet does, yeah. for sure. Oh, yeah. Well, the library is like a perfect place to come to as well for an entrepreneur to start right. their business and get their ideas and grow their ideas here. I mean, like, even if they wanted to start a podcast right here, the SMS. Right. The <laughs> SMS is a great example, yes. too. Of, and, it's, and it does iterate. We're mm -hmm. constantly trying and experimenting with new things, yeah. new technology investments, emerging yeah. technologies, mm -hmm. for that very reason. We were one of the... 
first places um, to offer open 3D printing to anybody, yeah. right? Yeah. And we didn't, and it was a class gift from a graduating class, gave us some money, and we decided to buy a 3D printer. And mm-hmm. then with some with some uh, rules in place, yes, we <laughs> we've been offering it, mm-hmm. and we in the after one year we were able to see that over half of those were being used for course assignments. Yes. Mm-hmm. So we're able to show that that's that that new type of technology, students were applying it to what they were doing to yeah. achieve, uh, be successful, I should say, at Kent State. Yeah. And I think that's really cool. I mean, I love the 3D printers. And I, there's also stuff at, like, the DI place, too. And, like, that's why right. it's great to see. So that's where that ecosystem, yeah. you know, those DI, those DI hubs. Yeah. Um, I should say I was one of the original founding group of eight people okay. who, who originated the Design Ooh. Innovation Initiative. Yeah. And um, uh, when I was Provost Fellow, I worked with LaunchNet to turn the former glass blowing studio at the university into another makerspace called the, called the Spark uh, Innovation Lab, I think. It's gone through several innovation, iterations. Yeah. And at that point, that was over in the Schwartz building. Mm-hmm. And it was half clean makerspace, half dirty makerspace. Okay. And so that was another, right? We iterated, tried it, that moved to another location, and then the DI Hub got funded. Okay. So I do want to ask you, too, how do you just think overall how, like, you've grown as a person, like, throughout your whole entire process being here? Well, as I said, I try to be on a path with a heart. Yeah. And uh, when I when I do that, it helps me keep my values in front. And so mm-hmm. that's one thing I'll say is that throughout my time as I become a leader, I've become more value driven. Yeah. You you as a leader are you confront uh ambiguous problems. Mm-hmm. Problems that aren't clearly solved. And the way I found to navigate those situations is return to the values. And some mm-hmm. of my values are being open inclusive and innovative are like the three values I usually lead with when I think about things. Yeah. And returning to those values helps you navigate a murky space. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing that I've, I felt like I've, I've, I've grown. Also, just my network. And, yeah. you know, I actually, um, if you had talked to me when I was 25, I'd have told you <laughs> I was a terribly introverted person. Yeah. And I, I still am an introvert, but a lot of people I work with don't believe that. Yeah. Um, but if I have my passion and my role and I'm, and I'm committed, uh, I kind of leave that aside and uh, I, I am more outspoken and speak my mind. And I think on that continuum, I've really grown yeah. in that way. So that's a form of self-efficacy itself, mm-hmm. believing in myself, believing in what I do and not getting bogged down in that minutia or ambiguity. Yeah. Really, that com- I think a modern day skill everyone needs is a comfort with ambiguity because yeah. our world is not black and white. Yes. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to be freaked out by the unknown or the grayness of the world, mm-hmm. it's going to be it's going to be hard for and you we need to learn skills to navigate through that. So that's something I think that over over the years, uh, especially my time at Kent State, I've grown in that way. Yeah. To see things more clearly or at least to know that that's cool. Yeah. It's kind of normal. Yeah. I had a math professor once said the first step to understanding is confusion. Well, <laughs> right? Um, it's part of the process. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so in your own words, how would you describe what an entrepreneur is to you? 
I may have said it already, but an entrepreneur mm-hmm. is uh, well. It's 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 anyone to begin with. Yes. I think anyone can be an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. but maybe if you've earned the badge of entrepreneurship, yeah. Um, I would say that individual is probably believes in themselves, believes in their ideas, yeah, and has the self-efficacy to. Uh, ask the right questions yes. and take the right steps mm-hmm. to achieve that they what they want. Mm-hmm. They're also a person that that has resiliency mm-hmm. because you are going to have things that don't go right. Yeah, the idea that you had for your venture, you may need to tweak it, you may need to change it, or you may need to throw it away and go to something yeah. new. But it's probably based on something you learned through trying that first thing, or yeah. the second thing, or the third thing. Yeah, so. They're, they're, uh, the entrepreneur is a strong person who believes in themselves and is resilient, um, somewhat a risk taker. Yes. And um, usually a very positive uh, change agent mm-hmm. in, in the communities that they, that they uh, are members of. Yeah. So speaking of your experience with entrepreneurship and seeing like how far you've come, what advice would you give to students who like want to become entrepreneurs or to start their own business? Uh, number one, check out LaunchNet. Uh, <laughs> Obviously, but yes. number two, uh, really embrace embrace the things that don't go well, the failures, the challenges. Yeah, because those, uh, although they can be painful, yes. are the major are the major learning moments. Mm-hmm. Um. And then be be open. So it's this gets into almost talking about fight or flight. You know, this natural uh, biology of our brains that when we get confronted with change or being told no, we sometimes shut down emotionally and intellectually, and we want to flee or sometimes argue. And my my advice there is. Stay open and say yes to change. Say yes to the thing that's not going well. Because if you shut down or say no to it, you won't be part of changing it to the thing it will become. You yeah. want to become, you want to remain uh, open and connected to what's going on so that you actively change it. And I would say almost every initiative or every company, every entrepreneurial idea, it's very rare that the thing it started out with is the thing it ended up being. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so there's a journey there. And if you don't remain open to that and actively engage and, 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 and navigate it, you'll miss the opportunities and mm-hmm. you'll, you'll maybe abandon that because you thought it wasn't going to work. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, I think that's all the questions that I have for you today. Um, Would you like to plug anything, any upcoming events, anything with the libraries, anything you want to plug? So for Black History Month, the library uh, is celebrating the digitization of an awesome set of photographs. They were taken by uh, Kent State alumni Lafayette Tolliver, who was a member of Black United Students here in, from I think, 68 to 71. And he took over a thousand photographs of black students at Kent State that time. So uh, we are holding an event on the 23rd. So it's a Thursday afternoon from 4 to 6 in the University Library's garden room where Lafayette Tolliver, who's now a civil rights lawyer in Toledo, will be joining us to talk about uh, his collection. 
We'll, we'll have a complimentary exhibit called Footprints in Time that we'll be debuting actually within the next week, uh, early uh, second week of February in our Meribits Gallery on the first floor of the library as well. Um, so that will be a great event uh, to meet with Mr. Tolliver, get to see some of those uh, iconic photos. Mm-hmm. And, and um, for us in the library, one of our commitments is to help preserve, capture, record the history of the student experience at Kent State, and especially those students who may represent uh, underserved groups of students whose story may not may not have get 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 as much attention as it should. So we're trying to find those find those histories and record them and share them. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, Anyways, let's get after it.